May I have, May the, I envelope, have the envelope, please? please. And the splendid, splendid blowhole goes to... boy the boys are back in town the boys are back in town with another episode of and uh, the splendid boho goes to and for you film lovers out there i think that you will find this a uh, fascinating episode as we deal with one of the great screenwriters of all time some of the finest actors of all time and a motion picture that is considered a complete and utter game changer and as Aaron Sorkin said regarding Patty Chayefsky, the great Patty Chayefsky's script regarding this Orwell could not have conceived of the truths that uh, are imparted in the film Network And now, the distinguished television news commentator, Mr. Howard Beale. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like at this moment to announce that I will be retiring from this program in two weeks' time because of poor ratings. Since this show was the only thing I had going for me in my life, I have decided to kill myself. I'm going to blow my brains out right on this program a week from today. What the hell's going on? Prepare yourself for a perfectly outrageous motion picture. Howard Beale went up there last night and said what every American feels, that he's tired of all the bull... Six, Diana, we're talking about putting a manifestly irresponsible man on national television. I am not putting Howard back on the air. It's not your show anymore, Max, it's mine. I got a feeling I'm being made. You are. I've got to warn you, I, I don't do anything on my first date. We'll see. I want a show developed based on the activities of a terrorist group. Well, Ahmed, I want to make a TV star out of you. Just like Archie Bunker. We're the number one show in television! We're number one! We're number one! There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and DuPont and Exxon. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Why me? It was your own television, dummy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Network News Hour with Howard Beale. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many stations does this go out? You've got to get mad. You've got to say... I want you to get up right now. Go to your windows, stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Are they yelling in Atlanta, Herb? Are they yelling in Atlanta, Ted? I'm mad as hell! I'm not gonna take it anymore! 
Network by Patty Chayefsky, directed by Sidney Lumet, produced by Howard Gottfried. Television will never be the same. And the splendid boho for character acting goes to... The great Ned Beatty. We just lost Ned uh, a few months ago in June of this year. That's right. This film was from 1976. It uh, was a huge, huge success. It won four Oscars, one for Peter Finch, one for Faye Dunaway, one for Beatrice Strait, and the screenplay for Patty Chayefsky. It was directed by Sidney Lumet. Now, but Ned Beatty was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but did not win. And I'm, I, I need to find out who did win that one that year. But oh, I thought you were going this to is the investigate. One, I thought you were going to investigate that. Uh, yeah, this is the perfect example of what we're trying to do with this series. This is one scene, five minutes long, one serio-comedic monologue and it lifts the film into a whole other level when Ned Beatty appears and does this tour de force monologue which could only I I I I want to aver here can only be coming from a great stage actor which Ned Beatty was and in a in a little while, I'm going to talk about his career and and how he made his bones and how he came up. But um, this film, in 2000, was put into the National Film Registry, Library of Congress, 2005, 2005, the Writers Guild, 10 Greatest Screenplays. So it's AFI in 2007, 64, the greatest American films ever made. So this is an easy kind of choice. But Ned Beatty is perfect for our uh, purposes. He's perfect for our purposes because what we're attempting to do is present an actor or actress who has designed a place for him or herself or had it had assistance in the design, of course, as, as one always does, that makes the film completely unforgettable and would not have been the same if it were not for that performance. Exactly. Now, I believe that Mr. Beatty did not win because the role was way too short, but he is the finale. His four-minute, 45-second monologue written by Patty Chayefsky at the end which we are going to play for you in its entirety because of the import of that. Uh, it's interesting to me that you said this comedic monologue. Yes, it's a, it, well, the way he flips at the end, I mean, he's bombastic, and then at the very end he becomes very intimate. Yes. He puts his hand on, on Finch's shoulder, and he goes, ha oh, didn't you realize? You know, and it, it's masterful. It's, ma it's a masterful performance. Um, the... Intent, as Chayefsky was a very political character, he did not want Vanessa Redgrave, uh, as Sidney Lumet did in the Faye Dunaway part. Lumet said, this is the greatest actress in the world. And Chayefsky replied, yes, but she supports the Palestinians. 
So that's how Faye Dunaway wound up getting wow. the part. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, I what, met Sidney Lumet. Um, I actually auditioned for Sidney Lumet one time. And um, it was a, turned out awfully. It was, I, it was one of the faux pas that when I think about it, uh, you know, it, it, it still makes me blush. So I'm, I'm introduced, I go in to meet, I have a meeting with Sidney Lumet for a film that turned out to be not very good film called Family Business with Sean Connery, um, Dustin Hoffman, and Matthew Broderick. And there was a courtroom scene and, they, and I was up for one of the lawyers. And I go in and I meet this guy. He's just as Hamish and friendly and lovely as you can be. And he says to the casting director, we got to find something because I, I'm, that part I think is cast. He goes, but we got to find something for this guy. Right. And he's talking to her and, and they're like, I, everybody's, it's like a fucking party, you know? And then I'm, for some reason, I mean, I know this guy, I know who he is, but I'm not fully, like, totally aware of his all-time greatness, you know, and I'm going, yeah, you know, I live in Queens, and they just opened the the uh, Museum of American Filming. I said, you know, have you been there? And he, he was one of the founders of it, you know, and he was like, his face kind of went, oh, oh boy glazed over and said no, nice to meet you and I was like and of course I never got the call and uh, so I fucked myself on that one yeah but yeah, that was accidental totally accidental totally but I didn't accidental. do my homework you know, yes, I, or, yes. you know I, I was trying to like make a connection with the guy but um, he uh, you know the fact that I didn't know that he was one of the founders of the museum um, was was ridiculous. And that, what year was that? Mm. Early nineties. Yeah, the body of work had already been uh, pretty. Oh yeah, I should have known. I, yeah. You know, yeah. I should have done some homework. I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 one of the of the greatest directors. Uh, yeah, we all, ever of had, all time. Of all time, up to his. Um, Final film with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, oh, great film! Before the devil knows you're before dead. Before the devil knows you're dead, and of course, um, uh, about a month ago, I was watching Rod Steiger and the Pawnbroker, and uh, wow, yeah, there's some, you know, some uh, some people are capable of of getting something out of their artists. Uh, and he was always, he was Kazan-like in that capacity. Well, he started as a child actor in the Yiddish theater. Yes, in the Yiddish theater, exactly, exactly. I mean, he, 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 he was working in show business his whole life. Yeah, yeah. But to have seen that Rod Steiger was the only person to play this, this tormented... Uh, so many, so many... Living Holocaust. So many great performances. Yeah, yeah. The verdict... Oh, of course, of course. And as I had suggested, another Jack Warden in that film would yeah. be a candidate for uh, for another. I mean, you could just go down the list. Go down the list. Starting with Twelve Angry Men. So, uh, well, yeah, probably, 
one of my five favorite films of all time. But and that ensemble cast is just is just brilliant. It's just, it's just absolutely brilliant. Which was, I think, his first feature because he had directed it on television. Yes, he did. And, he, uh, he, and so then he was given the opportunity to do it in film. Correct. Uh, you know, just 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 such great work for decades and decades. So and, he, a, and a purveyor of New York, filming in New York, famous for rehearsing because he was a theater guy. Now, do you suggest? Do you think we know that Lament was a political guy? We know that Chayefsky was a political guy. William Holden, of course, was not known for uh, for any political uh, uh, statutes. He is not considered Republican. He is not considered Democrat. He was he was he was an actor's actor. Faye Dunaway, we know, was uh, quite liberal. Do you believe that this film, as it's seen today, was intended to be, uh, be what it has become? Oh yes, you know, Paddy Chayefsky was. Uh, I think he. He believed in using his his voice and his art. You mentioned Aaron Sorkin. Similarly to Aaron Sorkin, to change minds and hearts. Well, the issue is, shall we kill Howard Beale or not? I'd like to hear some more opinions on that. Look, I don't see we have any option, Frank. Let's kill the son of a bitch. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it. How do you feel? We're But yet, I think the greatest screenplay he ever wrote was Marty. Yeah. Right. And well, that's, I don't know if it's the greatest, but um, well, to me, it's certainly a, to, to a great showcase for uh, both um, uh, uh, the, Ernest the two actors, Rod Steiger and, uh, and Ernest Borgnine. Rod Steiger's not in uh, Marty. Yeah, he did it he on TV. He did on TV. TV, yeah. Yeah. But the film version... I always consider it to be the great American love story as told, uh, having been born there in the greatest American city. So I'm prejudiced in my <laughs> compassion for the telling of that love story. Uh, and about but as I said, as I said, Lamette being a theater person and Ned Beatty being a theater person, it, it, it's a perfect combination. You know, Ned Beatty, who came from Kentucky, he made his debut at the age of 19 in Wilderness Road, which was an outdoor drama um, in 1956 at the age of 19. And he worked at the Barter Theater in Abington, Virginia, which is, is, is I oftentimes regarded as the first regional theater, or if not the first, because Cleveland also, I think, vies for that. But... The whole thing was that people would bring their chickens and their their potatoes or whatever uh, to pay for watching the shows. And, um, you know, he just came out. He was in the original groups of the, the Actors Theater of Louisville, um, which I also worked for in uh, 1982. But this, he was a regional theater actor and this is regional theater is um is kind of going away now um but in that in those early days the 
50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, it was fundamental in terms of uh, spreading the gospel throughout the country uh, in terms of theater. And this is how he came out. He didn't do his, his first film role until 1972 in, in Deliverance, which is another. We could have chosen that one as the iconic uh, scene, which scared a lot of people. No. Hey, boy. No. You look just like a hog. No, don't. You look just like a hog. Don't. Come here, Piggy. No. Come here, Piggy, Piggy, no. Piggy. Hello. I had a, a, a robust... Uh, relationship with censors about this issue because I argued that uh, uh, they, were, they were all horrified. This is the first time anything this, this had ever been seen on film and I argued that we'd seen a lot of women raped and what was the difference? I'm really proud of it because I think it scared the hell out of people which in essence was what it was meant to do. It was meant to be frightening and I think it was. Yeah, I mean, deliverance scared a lot of people in the sense of uh, it, it also produced these stereotypes of, of people who live in certain regions of America. And that was its intention, of course. Um, I think I read something that the other actors, uh, other stars in the film, Burt Reynolds, John Boyd, um, they tried to argue against it. They tried to argue against the 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 um, the brutality of the rape scene. of the rape scene. I I, I, I would imagine the, the Beatty's portrait of of Bobby Tripp is needed the balance of a Burt Reynolds. Of course, um, you've got these two figures on this journey, and it's very well written in that respect. But somebody had to take the hit for for Bert to be able to aim that arrow, because that's also an intricate. An, an, yeah, no, it, it's one of those films. It's like Straw Dogs, uh, the emotional, visceral uh, uh, need for revenge is uh, generated through the experience that you're having watching these movies. I mean, it's hard to watch to this day. It's still mm -hmm. hard to yeah. watch. And uh, yeah, it was brave. It was it was very, very brave. And you know, 1976, the, the year that Ned Beatty uh, made Network, he also appeared in All the President's Men and Mikey and Nicky. Well, this is where it's interesting because he could have been stereotyped. He could have been stereotyped if he were a different kind of actor, and Squeal Like a Pig might have become his entire career. But he was given opportunities as a result of that. So, uh, Yeah, so this was a mere four years after that. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about, you know, I mean, not every... He, he fit the pattern of being able to play an everyman, and yet... In this particular work, he's the king of the world in network. I mean, he's amazing. He's essentially what people think of when they say, "There's really no president. Nobody really runs the the, the government. Doesn't run the country." And isn't that what we're talking about here? This is the guy who knows the guy that runs the world, 
and helps run the world. This is the... You're right. When he says there are no nations, there are no peoples, it's just an international dominion of dollars. I mean, this rings true evermore. As does I'm There is no America. There is no democracy. The world is a college of corporations. Amazing stuff. So Peter Finch, as this broadcaster who is attempting to let his audience know that everything is bullshit and is going to commit suicide on the air, creates his greatest moment in this, uh, in, in this despair because he's mad as hell and he wants everybody else to be mad as hell and not take it anymore. Sound familiar? Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. And, and when, uh, when uh, Beatty says to him, he goes, you, he goes, why me? Finch goes, why me? Because, because, you know, we want you to make nice, right, and sell the product. And he goes, why me? He goes, well, dummy, you're, you, 60 million people are watching you. And that's exactly what we got four years ago. And as Sorkin said, the prediction could not have, Orwell himself could not have predicted what was about to come as a result of this little box that entertained us as children and how it became the truth to so many people. Um, and still is, if you are a viewer of certain programming. Uh, Marshall McLuhan understood this, and the medium is the message. Yeah, you are what you eat, right? And you are what you eat, and you become, and, and we're all prone to these suggestions. We're all prone to these certain ideologies that we might not feel inclined to discuss in polite company. Well, that's the real bottom line is that people just want you to buy things. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's sell, 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 sell. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that that's what Facebook, right, was revealed. Of course, who doesn't have an? Uh, what is YouTube now? But a commercial? It's television uh, with all the commercials. The original idea is to provide people with their own entertainment, uh, their ability to share their skills and communicate with other people. And The purveyors had to figure out new ways to monetize, and they've done it in grand style. So Viacom gets involved in YouTube, and now you see all of this stuff that you can get for free. But if you were trying to post it, you would be sued. Um, so the corporations have taken over even the, now Facebook, right, Facebook originally, the idea was to meet girls, right? Or then boys. Well, to, girls or reconnect to with your old high school friends. And I don't think that's what we the, did. That's, <laughs> y- yes, but I don't think that was the original Zuckerberg model. I think, I think they were sitting around thinking this is a great way to meet chicks. I don't but think then, was, it's, you know, now we, we find out that 
there, there were masters of technology working on ways to keep your eyeballs uh, directed at a certain place so that things could be served up to you. Well, this has been since time immemorial. When you have motion pictures, then there will be a can placement of a bottle of Coca-Cola on a desk, or you'll see... Uh, even on television, on The Sopranos, the television sets say Philips on them. It's, yes, right. Product not, placement. It's not accidental. Right. It's not accidental. And this has been going on for a very long period of time. Mm, um, I feel like a Coke. But the movie, um, the movie addresses all of this as it unwinds in this relationship between William Holden and Faye Dunaway, who are the witnesses to the uh, to the insurrection, <laughs> the Howard Beale phenomenon. The Howard Beale phenomenon, as people are opening up their their windows in their neighborhoods and screaming over the fire escapes, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And uh, it's got nothing to do with liberalism. It's got nothing to do with. Uh, it's got to do with fear. It's got to do with loathing. And it has uh, a a punch to it that only Ned Beatty could have thrown at the end of that film, in my estimation. Shall we play that monologue for the folks? I think we should. I think we absolutely need to. This is the uh, this is the stunning, stirring uh, moment that Ned Beatty was. Uh, was born into through the magnificent wonders of Sidney Lumet and Patty Chayefsky. Ned Beatty, the finale of Network. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you've merely stopped a business deal. That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? You get up on your little 21-inch screen 
and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. What do you think the Russians talk about in their councils of state? Karl Marx? They get out their linear programming charts, statistical decision theories, minimax solutions, and compute the price-cost probabilities of their transactions and investments, just like we do. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies, Mr. Beale. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. And our children will live, Mr. Beale, to see that perfect world in which there's no war or famine, oppression or brutality. One vast and ecumenical holding company for whom all men will work to serve a common profit in which all men will hold a share of stock. All necessities provided, all anxieties tranquilized, all boredom amused. And I have chosen you, Mr. Beale, to preach this evangel. Why me? Because you're on television, dummy. Sixty million people watch you every night of the week, Monday through Friday. I have seen the face of God. You just might be right, Mr. Beale. So, yes, everything that you described, that's uh, every, every nuance is in that performance. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, he goes, he runs the gamut. And like I, uh, like I, my thesis before is this was born and nurtured in the theater community of America in that golden time where the regional theaters flourished. I, he played Willie Loman in at ATL in 1966 at the age of 29. Whoa. <laughs> he played Willie fucking Loman in Death of a Salesman. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you get that kind of training? You yeah, know? yeah. And he went back to the stage in the 2000s and played Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and won the Drama Desk Award. Um, so, but I, I have you ever seen a sitcom? It was a short-lived sitcom called Sisnik from 1977-78. Very short-lived, but he had this sitcom, which I don't think I've ever seen. Um, came and went, but in 1991, and this is a movie I did see, which surprised the hell out of me. He played a British singer 
in a film called Hear My Song, and he won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for that one. Yeah, I'm familiar he with... He was a trained singer. Yeah, he was a trained, he was a trained singer. Um, Sang gospel and barbershop back in Kentucky. He was also known for um, his uh, role in Homicide. Yes, Homicide Life on the Street. Life. I want you. Huh? I need you. Me? I'm in love. Well... Have dinner with me tonight. Dinner? Please. Well... You pick the place, someplace romantic. Stanley... Are you still going with that guy, that Danvers guy who's an assistant <laughs> state attorney? Okay, good, good, good. I want you both. Where exactly is this conversation going? I'm, I'm asking you to double date. Oh... Uh, uh, well, yeah, what'd you think? I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, I'm going to bring a date for myself. <laughs> this girl, woman, uh-huh. Linda. We've been seeing a lot of each other. Okay, but this is the first real date, so I want you and Danvers to come along and kind of, uh, you know, take the pressure off, take the edge off. She's special, and she is. I think I'm in love. Love? Yeah. So, would you break bread with us? Can I refuse? You're gorgeous. You know that? You are. <laughs> Come on, wherever you decide, that's okay. where we're going to go, okay? I mean, wherever, uh, I'm picking up the tab. I want it to be, you know, top drawer. Money is no object. Um, we'll have wine, we'll have caviar, we'll have flowers on the table. Hey, could you find a, excuse me, did you find a place with the music and dancing? Are you going to dance? Everything up to it, including the woolly bully. That I would pay to see. <laughs> And he did a lot of, didn't he do a variety of TV work as the years rolled on? Well, this was a working character actor. I mean, he was the voice uh, in Toy Story 3 of Lots of Huggin' Bear, which he was nominated for an MTV award as best villain. <laughs> I mean, this guy did it all. Did it all. He was a, he, he was a we were very uh, lucky to have him. In our firmament. Yeah, he was 83, I believe, when he passed in June, and uh, yeah. this was indeed an illustrious, an illustrious career. I have to say, I think this is the act, the absolute pinnacle. Well, when you say you mean of his of his career of his career, yeah, yes, yeah, that no, absolutely. That, that four and a half minute speech. Yeah, and he begins his career with the. With the words that you that that make you cringe in complete horror, um, as he's being told to squeal like a pig, and then he comes back and will be immortalized, and is is being immortalized at least in this episode, and we believe it's that it's an immortal moment. Comes back with this monologue uh, that only he could do, and I, this is what I was saying before. There are people that I think are born to do certain things, and if they don't do them, then the substitute is not going to produce the grandeur. So I don't see anyone but Ned Beatty. Yeah, if you, if you don't find the right person, there's a space in the cosmic fabric. Yes, yes, yeah. And you often see, I think there's a lot of, a lot of movies, a lot of television that we see, that if it were cast differently or if someone were had been available um, it would have been a whole other situation 
but um, well, you hear stories about who turned down what role and who you know who winds up getting what role. But there are these moments, and this is an important moment. This is not just a role, because as we say, he's nominated for best supporting actor, but the his screen time is very very short. But what he does with it is is impeccable, just impeccable. So we salute Mr. Ned Beatty, the Film Network, Patty Chayefsky, the great director, Sidney Lumet, and, of course, the cast of that great film, which included, as you say, Beatrice Strait, Peter Finch, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, and let us not forget a gentleman who is still with us and uh, is also one of the greats of all time, Mr. Robert Duvall. Ah, yeah. Any any final thoughts on Mr. Beatty and the Film Network mess? No, I think I think uh, we've we've served him admirably. That's perfectly said. Admirably is what we try to do. And speaking of admirable, make sure you stay tuned in for episodes of Captain Billy's Magic Eight Ball. You know what Bill does? He goes into his A-track collection, pulls out a cart, and he puts it on and gives you some insight with a little narrative into that recording. And whether it be Jimmy Reed or whether it be Tracy Nelson or whether it be the, uh, the, the amazing Elvis Presley, he, he always gives you a little something to think about. Okay, I, I have here the winner of the uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor went to Jason Robards that year for All the President's Men. Oh, okay. Playing Ben Bradley. Ben Bradley. Okay. Well, that was timely. <laughs> right? I mean, it's 1976, and it's fresh in our consciousness. Yeah. And uh, Jason Robards is another. Of, uh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. Now you got me thinking about Jason Robards, and you got me thinking about uh, his portrayal of Hickey in Iceman Cometh. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to come in with that so late. No, it's always hey, better late than never, I always say. And speaking of better late than never, we're going to uh let you get on with your day, do what you gotta do. We want you to be healthy, we want you to be happy, we want you to be safe, and we want you to stay tuned because the splendid Bohemians are with you and we thank you so much for listening. And uh from Bill in California, Rich in Florida. We thank you so much, and adios, amigos. Bye-bye.